Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? In the season's worst conditions, winter tires are a game changer. They elevate traction, control, and confidence. They sell only the best, like the full line of hand-cooked tires. Go to TireRack.com slash sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to your one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. Tuesday edition, Outkick the Coverage. I hope all of you are having spectacular mornings as we dive into the stories of the day. And the biggest story of the day, at least so far, continues to be the fallout from Super Bowl 52, and in particular, Bill Belichick's decision not to play Malcolm Butler. I think this story is exaggerated. Let me explain. The New England Patriots, if you ask a odds maker, and I did after this uh, decision was made, what is the difference in the overall quality of play for a position like corner in the Super Bowl? In other words, I'm big on going to Vegas and to odds makers, to the guys who are offshore, to the people who actually have to hang numbers and ask them, what is the difference between one player and another player? By and large, individual fans overrate injuries and overrate the impact of one player starting instead of another. And if you listen to this show regularly, you'll know that I try to push back against that idea. Let me give you an example. J.J. Watt is a phenomenally talented defensive end for the Houston Texans. If he does not play in a game because of an injury, do you know how much the line moves? Around a point at most. That means if the Houston Texans were favored by seven points, if J.J. Watt does not play, the line moves one point. Defensive players by and large, do not move the line. The same is true of just about every player on the field with the exception of the quarterback. Quarterbacks, depending on who their backup are, backups are, 
can move the line a touchdown or more. That's a big line if you're a top quarterback. If you're a mediocre quarterback, it's less than that, three, four points on average. What does that teach us? It teaches us that according to Las Vegas and the offshore odds makers, unless you are a top quarterback, i.e. the drop-off between Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer might be eight or nine points, the overall impact of an individual player on the football field is relatively insubstantial. What fans and media have a tendency to do is to overanalyze and overvalue individual players at the expense of the totality of the whole. And I think that's what we're seeing now with the Malcolm Butler coverage. Everybody is up in arms over the decision of Bill Belichick not to play Malcolm Butler. I think we have some audio of that. Let me go ahead and play it here. Here is Bill Belichick being asked on Monday about his decision not to play Malcolm Butler. I respect Malcolm's competitiveness, and I'm sure that he uh, felt like he could have helped. I'm sure the players felt the same way. But in the end, we have to make the decisions that we feel are best for the football team, and that's what I did. That's really all I can say about it. Could you detail that a little bit for those people that follow the team that just feel like there's an emptiness there that they'd like to understand it better? Yeah, I appreciate the question, Mike. It would be a much longer discussion. There's a lot of things that go into that. In the end, uh, the final decision is what I said it was. Belichick said it wasn't disciplinary. There's been some reports that there was a disciplinary issue, but it hasn't really been fully plumbed out. I think what this represents in general is an inability to understand how the Patriots lost because they are the favorite. But they were only a a four-and-a-half-point favorite. And I understand the idea being, oh, my God, if Malcolm Butler was in the game, the outcome of the game would have been different. When you lose a close game, you literally go back every over every decision that you made and you think, man, what could I have done differently? What if the Patriots had made that chip shot field goal that they attempted instead of bad snap, everything getting messed up? And what if they had made the extra points? What if the Eagles had made their first extra point and hadn't gone for two? There's so many different plays you can go back and analyze over the course of a game. What if the Patriots had been able to get a stop on either of the fourth down plays when Doug Peterson, I thought, won this game? The obsession and the focus on Malcolm Butler is, to me, indicative of the decision-making and the thought process of people who don't understand how games are played. Unless it's a quarterback, we are overvaluing the overall impact of an individual player. Now, the other thing here is, I think this distracts from the larger issue. So the Patriots didn't lose this game. The Eagles won it. And I know there is an obsession in Monday morning quarterbacking, and in this case, Tuesday morning quarterbacking, everything that took place in a game. Sometimes, and I know this is crazy, one team just plays really, really well and makes the plays that lead to a victory, and the other team didn't do anything that badly. This is what I said on Monday. I said, give credit to the Eagles for what they did in this game. Give credit to Doug Peterson for deciding to go for fourth down twice when the vast majority of coaches would not have gone for it. Give credit to Doug Peterson for recognizing that you don't beat a dynasty and someone like Tom Brady 
by making conservative decisions and backing into it and waiting for the Patriots to make mistakes. You have to grab the win yourself as opposed to allowing somebody else to fall into it. Because the Patriots, and I've made this analogy for a few years, are like a villain in a horror film. You know how Freddy Krueger, if you're a 1980s horror film favorite, and Michael Myers and Jason, there was always a point in the movie, maybe multiple points in the movie, where somebody did something to them. Pushed them off a, uh, pushed them off, you know, like a bridge or pushed them off of, uh, like you thought, man, they hit him in the head there with a shovel. And you thought, man, maybe they, maybe they killed him. But you knew that in reality, you don't back your way into killing a horror movie villain. You have to be definitive about it. You have to do it in a way where you're basically standing in, above them with a gun and you just pump bullet after bullet into them to make sure they never get up again. The Patriots are like that horror movie villain. You don't accidentally, by luck, kill them. And so, focusing on Malcolm Butler, as many people are doing now at day two, is making the assumption that the Patriots somehow lost this game. And to me, that's fundamentally wrong. The Patriots didn't lose this game. They put up 600 and some odd uh, yards of total offense. The reason why the Patriots lost this game was not because they didn't play well enough. It was because the Eagles played better. There wasn't a play. Sometimes you can point to a game and say, man, that team choked. Some of you out there can say, oh, well, Brady fumbled late in the game. No, that wasn't the reason that the Patriots lost. The reason the Patriots lost was because they were put into position by Doug Peterson and the Eagles in a crucial moment, and one of their guys finally made a play on defense. And Doug Peterson recognized the Patriots didn't punt the whole game. Facing fourth down with five minutes to go, just about every coach in the NFL punts there and tries to get the Patriots, get the ball back after pinning the Patriots deep. Doug Peterson knew that was unlikely to work. He didn't want to punt to Tom Brady. And so they made the plays. Doug Peterson did as a coach, certainly Nick Foles did as a quarterback, and lots of other guys too, they made the plays to win. This obsession with Malcolm Butler is really strange to me because what it represents is a fundamental lack of understanding of the value of individual players and also a inability to give credit to the Eagles for what they were actually able to accomplish here. Malcolm Butler worth at most a half point to the overall outcome of this game, according to Las Vegas. And if you talk to most odds makers, they would say the drop-off between Malcolm Butler and his backup is negligible. There is virtually no difference in the overall line. If everybody had known Malcolm Butler was not going to start, do you know what the, the, the outcome of this line, the forecast would have been? Patriots minus four and a half. It wouldn't have changed at all. And if it had changed, it would have changed at most a half point. So one thing that I want you to do if you are a sports fan is be smarter about the way you respond to injuries and benchings. And I'll tell you, I learned this lesson several years ago when Todd Gurley, I believe it was, was ruled out with an injury. And I thought, my God, for the Georgia Bulldogs. And I think they were playing against Missouri. And I said, man, I got to get down as much money on this game as I possibly can without Todd Gurley 
this Georgia team is in trouble. And I went in, I made the bet, and I thought, man, I'm awesome. I beat the line. I got this news on my phone. I immediately went in. I placed the bet. And, man, I'm, I'm in good shape now. And what was wild about it was the line barely moved. I said, man, why is the line not moving? And it's because odds makers knew guy who was going to back up Todd Gurley was pretty good. This guy by the name of Nick Chubb who went on to become one of the best running backs in the history of the Georgia Bulldogs. And the guy who backed up Malcolm Butler is pretty good too. The impact is negligible. I'll open up phone lines. You guys can disagree with me if you're obsessed with Malcolm Butler. Other thing I want to get to is NFL Super Bowl ratings hit nearly a decade low despite the fact that we had the best possible game featuring two teams from major cities that played an electric contest that was close throughout the entirety of the game. I want to talk about that. I want to get your opinions on that. 877-996-6369 is the phone number. 877-996-6369. I also want to tell you, using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. With True Price from TrueCar, you can avoid the confusion you encounter online by getting a great price you can count on before you ever visit a dealership. The True Price includes all dealer fees and accessories. TrueCar will show you what other people in your area paid for the car you want. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident, and your certified dealers know this, so they set their True Price competitively so they can win your business. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network. There are over 15,000 TrueCar Certified Dealers nationwide. TrueCar users save an average of over three grand off MSRP. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Wouldn't you love a bigger tax refund? TaxSlayer was recently rated number one for maximum refund, so you have more cash to spend on whatever the heck you want. This tax season, go out and slay it. Max your refund at TaxSlayer.com. My thing on Malcolm Butler that I thought was a bigger issue, potentially, was letting him practice with the ones. Like I would like to know inside the Patriots' preparation for the Super Bowl, at what point did Malcolm Butler become aware that he was not going to start in this game? That's what I think is actual reporting that would be useful. When was he not moving around with the ones? When did we become aware, as we talk about this fallout that I say is overrated? But that's the one bit of information I would like to know. And then I do think that if you had someone who is an expert at breaking down the overall performance of Malcolm Butler all season, I think what they would say is that ultimately the impact of Malcolm Butler as opposed to the guy who replaced him was negligible on this game because the difference between the two players was negligible. And so one of them might have been better on one play, the other one might have been better on the next, and over the course of a game, the difference between the two would not have been very substantial. That's my analysis in general. Now, I understand fans have an overreaction to players. We tend to think, oh my God, this guy's injured. There's no way the Patriots have a chance. There's no way the Eagles have a chance. Uh, we, we saw that. I mean, I, I would love to know now in the wake of 
the response to by Nick Foles and how good he is, what's the difference, for instance, between Carson Wentz in a game and Nick Foles in a game? I don't think the difference would be considered very much in Vegas. When Nick Foles initially came in to replace Carson Wentz, the expectation was, oh, the Eagles are like a touchdown worse, five or six points. I think as we have seen Nick Foles play and saw what he could do in the NFC title game and in the Super Bowl, if he's the starting quarterback for the Eagles on week one of next year, which I think is actually fairly likely, because I haven't heard a lot of people talk about this, but I don't think Carson Wentz is likely, given the fact that he was injured in December, to be 100% coming off of his injury to start week one of the NFL season. Maybe I'm wrong, but I would think that would be a really quick turnaround given the rehab rehab and everything else that he has to come back from in his uh, in his injury. Let me bring in the crew. Is this an overplayed story with Malcolm Butler now that we're into day two, Jason Martin? Maybe a little bit. Um, what you're saying and what you said in the first segment obviously makes a lot of sense, but it was a one-touchdown game, so I don't know whether or not there's a play that Rowe didn't make that Butler could have made, and we're never going to know the answer to that question. I do think that it is definitely a situation where we don't need to try and find reasons why the Patriots lost. We need to credit the Eagles for what they did. We need to credit Doug Peterson for being aggressive. We need to credit Nick Foles for making plays when he had to. We need to credit Jay Ajayi for the way he ran the football and the way Blunt ran the football. We need to credit the Eagles more than we are because we're spending so much time trying to figure out why Malcolm Butler wasn't in the game. Do I think that that made an impact on the game? It could have. On one or two plays, you never know what it could have actually done. Malcolm Butler is a veteran in this league. What the difference would be if you are, and this is why I don't go to analysts, and instead I go to Vegas and to point spread setters, because what they would tell you, you have to be more intelligent about this. The average analyst is going to overvalue the, the impact of an individual player. Why do you think that is? By and large, the average analyst is a former player. And so they are going to believe that the difference between a one and a two is more substantial than it actually is. But if you talk to somebody in the world of setting the line, what they will tell you is, okay, there were 100 plays, let's say, 75 plays, whatever the number of snaps on the field, 55. I mean, there were a lot of snaps in this game because there were so many points scored, but I don't have in front of me the actual number of snaps. That if you compare every play, that on some plays the guy might have been a little bit better, on some plays the guy might have been a little bit worse, and over the course of a game, let's say there are 60 snaps that are impactful at that position, the difference between Malcolm Butler and the guy who replaced him, Rowe, would be virtually non-existent. Right? That, that over the course of all 60 of those plays, they would be virtually non-existent. Now, I would also love to have Bill Belichick come in or Matt Patricia when they do their film analysis and tell us whether or not that's likely to be true. Okay, when they went through and they broke down every single play, how did they grade this guy out compared to what the average grade was for Malcolm Butler over the course of the season? And my inclination is always to believe that Bill Belichick is doing what is in the best interest of his team. I don't think you create a dynasty by regularly making poor decisions that make it more likely that your team is going to lose. I think you can criticize Bill Belichick 
for a lot of different things, almost all of them are related to cheating, right? (laughs) Trying too hard to win. And ultimately, I just find it inconceivable that with Matt Patricia, who is a rocket scientist and is now taking over the Detroit Lions team, and with Bill Belichick, who, I I mean, legitimately, how many decisions that Bill Belichick has made on the sideline during a game can you point to and say, yeah, that cost his team the game? Almost everything that he does, percentage-wise, makes his team more likely to win. And that's why, to me, the focus on this in day two still in my mind, is the decisions Doug Peterson made, not this Malcolm Butler-like sideshow, which is not, in the grand scheme of things, that important. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I definitely agree that Belichick usually does the right thing. Fourth and two against the Colts on Sunday Night Football might be one of the only examples, and the fact that I can point to that shows how rare it is because and it by stands the way, out to me. The, the odds makers and prognosticators and stat gurus actually said that was the right play. Now, it was counterintuitive, but that for people who don't remember, that was when Belichick decided to go for it on, uh, was it fourth and two? And then they didn't get it, and Peyton Manning and the Colts got the ball and immediately came back down and scored and won that game. But that was, if you talked, and it's, again, it's controversial, but given that situation the stat guys would say that Belichick made that decision, even though it was controversial, was in the best interest of his team. What about L.A.? Are you guys in the belief that Malcolm Butler made a difference? I mean, he could have. You're making a good point about the fact that maybe it wasn't a huge difference between he and Roe, but if I can speak for the Patriots fans who are so upset, I read so many of their comments yesterday under a lot of these rumors and stories, and it seems like Pats fans are upset because of how the Eagles did so well on third and fourth down. And even if, you know, Butler could have made a difference on one or two of those conversions, maybe Nelson Aguilar doesn't come up clutch the way he did. So you just don't know how it would have played out. I mean, Butler did play 98% of all defensive snaps for New England this past season. So he definitely was a big part of that defense. I think what Bill Belichick owes is an explanation for what went into his decision. Yes. Why, where, why, why did Butler dress? Why was he put on special teams for that play? That, that, that's where I think that the Patriots do owe not just their fans, but everyone an explanation. When a healthy player doesn't play, I think you have to answer that question. And if it was something off the field, I think you have to say it. If it was discipline-related, even though so far he said it was not discipline-related – if he just thinks that Malcolm Butler did not play that well over the course of the season and that as they got ready for this game, they saw something in the wide receivers for the Eagles that they believed that their backup would be better than Malcolm Butler would. If this was a consistent failing over the course of the season and he just wasn't responding to coaching, all of those things I think would be fair to put out there in public. When you bench a starter for a big game, that's to me the story here that could deserve a little bit more attention. But in a larger scale, to me, the story is just, again, the Eagles and Doug Peterson and the fact that they went and grabbed this game as opposed to the Patriots. And here's the other thing. If the Patriots get a stop on fourth down and that pass went to Zacher to, you know, there was no way Malcolm Butler's involved, in that play, I don't believe. Uh, that pass gets a first down. If the Patriots stop that play, 
then I think Tom Brady gets the football. They're on the uh, the Eagles' side of the field. I think Brady is likely to drive the length of the field, the 45 yards or whatever he would have had to go, get a touchdown there, they go up eight, and no one ever talks about Malcolm Butler again. I, I mean that honestly. Like, for this game, no one ever focuses on it. No one ever talks about it. When you lose, where they say, like, uh, victory has only one, fa- uh, one father, defeat has a thousand or whatever else, the, the line that I'm, that I'm mangling a little bit there, everybody tries to look for a reason why the defeat happened. What I would point to is and say the reason why the Patriots lost because the Eagles are really damn good. I think the Patriots. I didn't think the Patriots were bad. I thought Tom Brady might have played the best quarterback game in the history of the Super Bowl when you look at every snap that he played. I really do. And so it wasn't about the Patriots falling. It was about the Eagles elevating their game and Nick Foles in particular and Doug Peterson to a level that no one anticipated they could go to. And I think Malcolm Butler is a very, very small percentage of that overall story. Let me bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia. Let me find out what's shaking. 877-996-6369 if you guys want to react. Eddie, what we got, my man? Well, Clay, in the wake of Super Bowl 52, the city of Philadelphia has got its Super Bowl championship parade ready to go Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. They will celebrate the first Super Bowl championship in the history of the Eagles. Also, Matt Patricia has expected the Patriots defensive coordinator for six years, officially named the new head coach of the Detroit Lions. Some NBA games of note, the Pistons beat the Trailblazers 111-91. Detroit's now 3-0 since acquiring Blake Griffin in a trade. He had 31, excuse me, 21 points uh, last night. Clippers beat the Mavericks 104-101. Dallas's Dirk Davitsky in the loss reached the 50,000 minutes played mark. He's only the sixth player in NBA history to do that. Wizards over the Pacers 111-102. In baseball, free agent third baseman Todd Frazier has reportedly agreed on a two-year, $17 million deal with the New York Mets. This report is brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore. With True Price from True Car, now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And Clay, it is also time for our Geico Play of the Day. He blocked it. Brady ahead to Trey. Breakaway to the rim. Reverse layup is good. High off the backboard. How did that go in? And why was there no foul? Thanks He's the, got 30, and that was absurd. Thanks to the Sooners Radio Network from Learfield Sports. That was Trey Young. Three of his uh, 32 points, but his Oklahoma team lost at home to West Virginia 75-73. That was our Geico play of the day. Good deal. We're coming to you live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800 947 Auto, the only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Um, we're talking about the decision to uh, to not play Malcolm Butler, whether or not it is rated or overrated more significantly than it should be. Um, also, in conjunction, we'll take your calls, by the way, 877-996-6369, kind of giving you a roadmap for where the show is headed. I want to say thanks again, by the way, to everybody out there who downloaded the podcast. Uh, you can always go search out OutKick. You can download the podcast. I also do an afternoon show on Periscope and Facebook. That's usually right around 3 o'clock Eastern with uh, zero FCC FCC restrictions, usually goes about a half hour, uh, where I talk about the biggest issues of the day. will be a lot of fun. I'd encourage you guys to come hang out and spend some time there with us as well. Uh, but millions of you downloading those podcasts. Uh, we set a new record in January. So uh, thank you for uh, everybody out there who is paying attention to that podcast and taking the time to go out and download it, search out OutKick if you're getting in your car and you're 
missing an interview or you're missing part of the show, I'd encourage you to go take uh, check that out. For the show, what do we got coming? Uh, hour two, we'll talk to Alex Marvez. He'll be the first guest that we've had, as it usually is uh, so far this week. Hour three, we will talk with, uh, with my guy Petros Papadakis out in L.A. He'll be with us in hour three, as he is usually every single Tuesday. Um, the other thing I would say that I think is more intriguing as we kind of do the Super Bowl, you know, like uh, archaeology. Go back over everything that happened, unpack it all. To me, this is intriguing because it's something we've been talking about all season long. This year's Super Bowl was the lowest-rated Super Bowl since 2009. Compared to last year, there were 8 million fewer people who watched compared to 2015, there were uh, about 11 million people less who watched. The ratings were down 7%. This was a big drop, and what I would say would be alarming to me if I were running the NFL is it was a drop that was substantial even though you had a team from New England, even though you had a team from Philadelphia, two big market teams, even though it was about as good of a game as you could possibly have, all of these people still chose not to watch. Millions, 14 million people who watched in 2015 did not watch this year. 8 million people who watched in 2016 did not watch this year either. I think this is a bigger story as we go back over the archaeology of the season, as we go unpack everything that took place. The NFL ratings were down double digits. Now, there will be those out there who will say, well, this is just a function of cord cutting. This is what happens. The ratings go down across the board because people are watching Netflix more or Hulu, on-demand programming. Maybe they're not watching as much television. Maybe they're playing video games. I I don't buy into that. I think especially I don't buy into that for the Super Bowl. I don't think there are that many people, although I'll open up the phone lines because I'd like to hear from you. I don't think there are that many people who stream the Super Bowl. What I mean by that is, I don't think there are that many people who stream the Super Bowl through like an illegal feed that can't be counted. Because why would you stream the Super Bowl onto your flat screen television and have to deal with buffering and not a very good picture and all of the associated flaws that come from streaming? I've told you guys this before, but... I'm I'm not I'm a technology neophyte despite the fact that I've made a lot of money writing online and I run a website outkick.com I'm not a guy who knows very well how technology works. I can't do that much from a technological perspective. When I own a technology device and it doesn't work, I turn it off and then I turn it back on. That's the depths of my technology. I know there's a lot of you out there that are just like me. Like anytime something doesn't work, my number one response is turn it off and turn it back on. And if I turn it off and I turn it back on and it still doesn't work, I've almost exhausted all my technological capabilities. That's, that's my Mr. Fix-It. Well, did you turn it off and turn it back on? Yeah, I did that. Well, I don't know. I don't know what to do after that. That's what I tell my kids. Their iPad's not working. They got their own iPads. Uh, the, the Xbox is not working. They can't play Madden. Did you turn it off and turn it back on? Yeah, we did that, Dad. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's going on there. So turn it off and turn it back on is my default number one way to fix anything but to me when I look at this situation in the NFL 
a lot of people out there want to argue that it's because of streaming. I think the bigger the event, the less likely it is to be streaming. The much less likely it is to be streaming. Because if you watch anything on streaming, I have the Apple TV set up on my office television. Big 70-inch television screen in my office. I put it on. I can put on Apple TV, go into the ESPN app, and I can put up four different games taking place simultaneously on my screen, for instance, for college football or college basketball when there's lots of different sporting events going on and I want to watch them. And that's kind of cool to be able to watch all those games simultaneously because I watch a lot of football. But they're like 30 or 45 seconds behind the actual broadcast if I watch it on my cable. I have Comcast. And so I have a television downstairs out of my office, and sometimes that television is on too. And if I'm going back up and down the stairs, I can see what happened in the game 45 seconds before it actually happens on my streaming. You say, why does that matter? Well, when I'm watching a game with a device in my hand, like Twitter, and I'm interacting with you guys live on the game, the play has already happened and everybody has already reacted to it before it even comes through on my streaming device. Not to mention, if I'm streaming a game illegally, the feed is often very choppy. It's not very good. If you are a fan out there, you know what I'm talking about, of, let's say, Reddit feeds. You can go in and Reddit on any football Sunday and you can illegally stream an NFL game out of market. The problem is that stream may not work that well. So I don't buy into the idea that there are lots of people out there illegally streaming the Super Bowl. First of all, it's on major broadcast television. How do you not have NBC? Secondly, why is it difficult? Like, why don't you just go to a friend's house? All of those things that would ordinarily take place, why don't you go to a sports bar? I'm curious, did anybody illegally stream the Super Bowl who is listening to me right now? And if you did... I would love to hear your story because I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think the reason why fewer people watch the Super Bowl this year was because of illegal streaming or cord cutting or because they suddenly decided to watch Stranger Things on Netflix instead of the Super Bowl. I think the reason why fewer people watched the NFL this year is because the NFL got political and lost a substantial portion of their fan base. I think there are lots of people out there that chose not to watch the NFL because the NFL made the disastrous decision to allow players to get political in uniform while on the field. I think that's the reason. I've been on this for a couple of years now, and it's like every week and every month I get proven more correct. Everybody else wants to make other excuses. The Super Bowl ratings tanked. They were down nearly a decade low despite having what might have been the best game possible. So two questions for you as we go into this break. Did you choose not to watch because you were angry at the NFL and or did you stream it illegally? I don't mean stream it through Slingbox or Xbox or something legal. I mean, did you stream it illegally? Did anybody actually do that? 877-996-6369. Love to hear your answer to both of this que- those questions. I am Clay Travis. We are listening you are listening to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. You want to sh- talk Clay the Crew? I hate you, Clay Travis! Or smack talk your team or a rival? He stinks. 
Or maybe you just want to say, go F yourself, Clay. Damn you, Clay! 855-500-CLAY. Sound off and record your complaint. What's the phone number? Hello? 855-500-2529. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Super Bowl ratings nearly hit a decade low. Why? Why did Super Bowl ratings hit a decade low despite the fact that we had maybe the best Super Bowl of all time from a pure enjoyment perspective? Most yards, most points, just about. A game that never felt like you knew who was going to win, even down to the final seconds of the game, when I guarantee many of you believed what I believed, which were the Patriots were going to have a chance to make that actual catch in the end zone and then get the two-point conversion and go into overtime. Why were the ratings down so much? People say, oh, cord cutting. And I open up the phone lines, 877-996-6369. Did any of you illegally stream this? Or is there anybody out there in my listening audience who wanted to watch the Super Bowl that couldn't find a way to do it? If you didn't watch, why didn't you watch? Because millions of you who watched last year and the year before chose not to watch despite the fact that this was a really compelling game. Why was this Super Bowl lower rated than every single Super Bowl going all the way back to 2009. And I don't hear anybody talk about this when they talk about cord cutting. You know there's 17 million more people in the United States today than there was in 2009? So even if cord cutting is an issue, there are millions and millions of people more, 17 million more of us today than there was in 2009. Nine years ago. So if we've got 17 million more people who could theoretically watch the Super Bowl than existed in 2009, and these ratings have tanked all season long, what's actually going on? Why is this happening? Why does the NFL, which puts its best program on all season and has a phenomenal Super Bowl, absolutely outstanding, featuring two major market teams that everybody cares about, why were ratings down by millions of viewers? And again, most people are not going to talk about this because for some reason there's a huge cottage industry of NFL Cinco fans who it doesn't matter what happens, they come out and they defend the NFL. Oh, it's cord cutting. Oh, television viewing in general is down. Oh, people are watching Stranger Things. Why were people actually not watching this? L.A., do you guys not think? I mean, I think this is a huge story. I've been covering it all season. The NFL ratings have been awful in the in the postseason. They have cost their league television partners hundreds of millions of dollars off of their projections. I read this story the other day. This is crazy. You know why ESPN didn't have a Super Bowl party this year? Because they couldn't afford to because of the loss of money substantially from Monday Night Football. Do you know why Fox did not travel with their television crews this year? 
on FS1 and Big Fox for the Super Bowl because they lost so much money off of the NFL this year. They missed budget by such a substantial dollar figure that they were saving money. Two of the network's biggest partners, ESPN and Fox, two of the NFL's biggest partners, ESPN and Fox, chose not to travel to the Super Bowl, basically, because of how much money they lost on airing NFL games this year. You're not going to hear that talked about very many places. ESPN elected not to have a Super Bowl party for the first time in decades because they had lost too much money on Monday Night Football. Fox elected not to travel with anybody from FS1 to Minnesota because they had lost too much money covering the NFL this year. Those are big stories. L.A., why do you think people didn't watch? Well, I, I think it's a residual effect of all the anthem stuff. I, I, I mean, I think that's the truth, too. But, I mean, I, but I, A lot of people won't say that, but I think that's 100% right. the most likely outcome. you got to be fair about it, though. I, I mean, going into the season, there were only seven players throughout the entire league that were kneeling. And, well, and, and, and our fearless leader, when he did the tweet and created the firestorm, it turned it into something more than what it was at the time. That might be well true, but I mean, the NFL had two years to resolve this too. I mean, but, I, but I nobody was talking about it at the time. Remember how random it seemed, his tweet? Uh, I mean, I thought it was a smart. I mean, I, I, you may not have thought people were talking about it, but the ratings were still going base, down. For his for what he wanted it to be, yeah, it was good for him. But the ratings were still down even before he did that in September. I just think I, I, I would I would like to hear from people. I mean again, I'm opening up the phone number. Eight nine nine eight seven seven nine nine six six three six nine. Collapsing ratings. Why? I'm Clay Travis, Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. Hour one, we talked about Malcolm Butler. And why I thought the story was still what the Eagles did as opposed to what the Patriots did. I don't think it would have mattered who they put at cornerback. I think Nick Foles was playing that well uh, regardless. Um, so that is uh, that is step one. Step two, talking about a story that I don't think you're going to hear about very many other places. And that is in the afterglow of a great Super Bowl. Now that the NFL season is over, you can go back and look at the totality of the season. And the NFL ratings tanked in 2017 in a way they have never tanked before. Down double digits across the board, uh, down double digits in the regular season and the playoffs and the Super Bowl all combined. The Super Bowl ratings were down at least 7% despite the fact that I believe the NFL got the best possible outcome for their game. Imagine what the ratings would have looked like if, for instance, Jacksonville had beaten the Patriots and you'd gotten Jacksonville against the Eagles. I mean, a lot less people would have watched that based on the quality of the matchup. The Patriots as a dynasty in the Super Bowl, people love or hate Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. It was the best possible setup. That all makes a lot of sense. So that would have meant a substantial amount uh, overall. So um, we have got loaded phone lines, and I am asking a couple of intriguing questions. Did you watch it illegally streamed? Because a lot of people out there say, oh, it's cord cutting. There's illegal streaming going on. I don't think that applies for the Super Bowl. If you did not watch, 
Why did you not watch? Because obviously, if you're listening to me, you are a sports fan. So you should be in the NFL's wheelhouse. Certainly, there were millions and millions of people, what I would call the forgotten sports fans out there, that made the decision not to watch. Why were there 11 million less people than watched in 2016? Why were there 8 million less people who watched this year than watched in 2017, despite the fact that the game was absolutely just about as good as it could possibly be? Was it cord cutting? Were you less likely to watch because you were upset over politics? That's what I think the reason is. Was it something to do otherwise? And again, the other info I would point out here is nobody talks about this. There are 17 million more people in America today than there were in 2009. Shouldn't the number of people watching the Super Bowl just be going up over a decade based on the sheer population in the United States? There were 306 million people in America in 2009. There are 323 million people in America in 2018, 2017. I'm curious. I want to hear from you guys. Let's go to uh, Vance in Los Angeles. What's up, Vance? Hey, Clay. Hi. Um, you know, sometimes I agree with you. Sometimes I don't. But uh, I, 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 I give you, I give you the political angle also um, because you know you have political people, whether it's the talk radio, the cable news, or someone on Twitter or Facebook that kind of tell everybody what they're thinking. We're really polarized right now. Um, and on both sides, there's been this whole kind of boycott the NFL thing, um, whether it's whether it's for Kaepernick or for you know the other you know the other the whole reason on the on the right. Now let me give you this other thing, and I'll get out of, out of the way and take your comments off the air. I feel that many folks may have also felt that um, it would have been a Patriot cakewalk. I felt folks wouldn't have trusted Nick Foles to get the job done. Um, that you know that the Eagles weren't exactly a reliable contender. Yeah, I get that. I get that, Vance, and I I get the idea, oh, it's Nick Foles, people don't believe. But, like, wouldn't you at least put on the game to see what the score was? Like, I get the whole whole idea. Look, if the Patriots had come out and gone up 28-0, you're like, yeah, this is totally what I expected to see. I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to watch something else. But the game itself was stellar. Right, I mean, and it was not just stellar. Like last year's game, I'm talking about 20, uh, 2017's game, the Patriots were down 28-3 to to the Falcons. So I can see how some people would have turned off their television. I came on after that game and said, you know what I did? And I apologized to my kids the next morning. I said, kids, school night. You guys got to go to bed. The Falcons, <laughs> Falcons are going to win the Super Bowl. And I marched them upstairs to go to bed. I let them watch all the game this year, all three of them, even though they were tired at school. But um, but a lot of people, I think, made that decision last year where they thought, oh, you know what, the Patriots are going to lose. This game isn't very entertaining. It ended up being an overtime game, but it wasn't like it was entertaining throughout. Does that make sense? Like this game, from basically the moment that toe meat leather and we kicked off until the final play of the game when Tom Brady is throwing into the end zone and we're seeing whether or not the Hail Mary is going to be complete, it was like gr- armchair gripping, like lean forward television throughout all 60 minutes. Um, I think Chris Collinsworth called it a relentless game, which I thought was a fair description of it. It wasn't like there were very many times to get your breath. Right? I mean, 
I think that is why I'm surprised that this number was down like it was and that we ended up as low as we did. Let's go to Ben in Virginia. What's up, Ben? Hey, Clay. How you doing, buddy? Excellent. Good, good. First time, short time. I'll get right into it. I think, Clay, what you're going to see, I don't know if I'll be prophetic or not, but I think there's a much larger segment across the country, much like me, who's kind of teetering. You know, I'm not sure if everyone's reached a tipping point with some of the political stuff, but I know that apart from watching my Seahawks, uh, I didn't I didn't watch every game this year. I didn't tune in as I typically do. It's just it's just become too much. Now I watched every snap of the game. I enjoyed it, but just from my circle of friends, you know, I've got friends on both sides of the aisle, like many. Uh, it, it's been divisive. There's no there's no question. It's been absolutely divisive. And I think that everyone's reaching their, their tipping point in different stages, but uh, I think we all think we're reasonable. But I, just from the small sample of my circle of friends, uh, we're waning. We're not talking what, football like we did. It's, it's been too much. What could the NFL do to make you like it like you did before the last couple of years? I think that truly, if, 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 if they came together, if we had even, even the far, you know, the, the, the opposite sides, you know, the right, the left, however you want to, however you want to frame it. I think if I see a true representation of an equal amount of coalition from each side coming forth that, hey, we're aware, we're working together, we know this is a sensitive topic, we know how, how polarizing this might be, how you might feel, how emotional people get involved. If I see a true representation of my thoughts and feelings and awareness, that truly it's not just one side there, too, I'm going to stick around the table. I'm going to listen, I'm going to hear. Uh, you know, we can work it out, but just it, it just seems like so much vitriol. I'll take it one step further, and I'll, I'll leave you with this, Clay. I think there's so much vitriol towards the president that, that those who wouldn't even really care about football would go as far to tune in <laughs> to, to help to, to, to be against it. And I'm not sure how out there that sounds, but it's just so divisive, man. And uh, it, as firm as I feel in my beliefs and what my thoughts are, they're not important. I can hear the other side, but I think there's so much emotion right now. that I, I think we're teetering, man. I think there's going to be a much larger segment that won't tune in next year if, if something doesn't change quickly. I appreciate the call. I think the NFL's got a mess on its hands. I don't think there's any doubt. And look, I've said before personally, players or coaches could come out and say they're supporting ISIS, and I would still watch the NFL. In other words, try to think of the most um, in ridiculous political stance that a player could have and I think I would still come out and I'd be like, yeah, you know, it's Sunday. NFL's on. I'm going to watch. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't really care that much personally about the politics. Now, I would say this, and we got a bunch of calls. I'm going to get to all of you this segment, so just hang with me. I would say this. What I think your average fan has decided, frankly, is if you look at the overall uh, sports landscape, they don't mind athletes being political. What they mind is athletes being political in uniform during the national anthem at work. Because the NBA athletes and coaches have been insanely political. And their ratings are actually up. This is an important detail that a lot of other people won't talk about. The college football playoff ratings were up. The NBA ratings are up. So that's why I don't really buy into this cord-cutting argument. If cord-cutting is crushing sports across the board, why are the NBA ratings up substantially? Why were college football ratings up substantially? That doesn't square with the NFL tanking. And NBA players have been very political, and certainly NBA coaches have been very political. 
but they're doing it in a time where I'm not tuning in to watch the game. Like, if you want to say after the game, I hate Donald Trump or I think Donald Trump is a genius, whatever your opinion is, that's fine. It's just like sort of like extra noise. Like when an Oscar winner gets up and makes, and we'll probably have that, God knows, here soon. When an Oscar winner gets up and makes some outlandish left-wing speech when they receive an Oscar, I expect it, and it doesn't impact me at all. But if you told me, if I were going to watch Star Wars, and if before I watched Star Wars, in the moments right before Star Wars started, if a bunch of the Star Wars characters came out and said, hey, abortion is murder, I'd be like, wait a minute. I don't want Luke Skywalker to tell me about abortion. I want him to be Luke Skywalker. I don't want Iron Man to come out and tell me what he thinks about campaign finance reform or Donald Trump in his Iron Man uniform right before the game starts, right before the movie starts. But if Robert Downey Jr. gets up and accepts an award and rips somebody politically during award season, I'm fine with that. Does that make sense? Like, when you're in your uniform, you are an entertainer, and I expect you to be entertaining me. And if you aren't entertaining me, you take me outside of the realm of that entertainment, which is what I'm paying for or what I bought in for. Let's go to Dan in Chicago. What's up, Dan? Hey, not too much. How's it going? Living the dream, Dan. <laughs> so uh, so my thing was with, uh, with Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. So I think it, it's really hard to go back and look at the Vegas statistics on it, mostly because this game wasn't really your average game, and, and really Vegas got it completely wrong with it. You know, they, they have the over-under at 48-and-a-half, I believe is what it closed at. And they score 73 points in the game, and it's a record-breaking game. So that marginal difference between Malcolm Butler and the backup just becomes exponentially larger. You know when uh, when well, hold on. Let me, let me say this because I think I think there's a general reaction where people actually come in and say, "Look, Vegas got it wrong because of the outcome of an individual game." Remember, like over the course of a hundred games, Vegas may well have gotten it very right. Every game is its own unique story, and we only get to see 60 minutes of it. If this game had gone on for 600 minutes, the Patriots might have won by right around five points, right? So any that's what makes gambling fun, and it's what makes sports fun. But I think uniquely in football, people have the idea that whatever happened in one football game is likely to happen in every football game forever, whereas we don't think that way in baseball, and we don't think that way in basketball, where you have in hockey – where you have these seven-game series, and everybody understands, wait, a team could lose by 40 one night and win by 20 the other night. It doesn't necessarily mean that Vegas got it wrong. It just means that on that particular game, you know, the any given Sunday explanation. Yeah, I think, I think that's absolutely true. And, you know, in the long run, Malcolm Butler might only make a .5 point difference, but in this game that they played, and on Sunday, he would have made a much larger difference because in this game, it was such a, it was such a uh, offense played to such a larger role. Especially no, that's a good on the point. Philadelphia side. Yeah, no, I, so, I appreciate yeah, that call. Especially for the receivers. Yeah, look, I mean, the, given the fact that there were so many points scored, maybe Malcolm Butler would have been more impactful if Vegas had known that there was going to be you know seventy some odds points scored. That's an interesting argument. Uh, John in Cleveland, is this Ohio? I'm assuming Cleveland, Ohio. What's up, John? Oh, thanks. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, yeah, I agree with the. You know, it, it was a, it was a great game, but um, you know, it was a tale to Brady. 
you had, um, you know, Tom Brady that was missing everybody in the first half. I mean, imagine how many yards he would have had if he would have, you know. Hit, he you came know. out slow in the first quarter, there's no doubt. And then, and then Gronk wasn't even used at different times. But the, but the main thing is that Malcolm Butler, you know, again, he's, you know, that's, that's totally um, Belichick's call. And, you know, I agree with that. I mean, you know, I don't understand the situation, but, you know, Belichick has the final say, so I agree with it. But politically, I mean, you know, you know I think a lot of these fans are going to come back. Like a guy like um, Ben that was talking before, he was like, yeah, these fans are, um, you know, they're divided, but it doesn't have to be divided um, in the future because, you know, you're going to talk about, um, you know, I mean, you're gonna, you know, these things will just go away. But, but I mean, I mean it was a great game. I mean, um, hey, thanks I appreciate, for appreciate the call, John. Uh, Gary in Tennessee. What's up, Gary? Clay, Travis, another great show by you there, buddy. Hey, look, I boycotted the entire NFL season, including the Super Bowl, and here's why. It's very simple. I was forced to choose sides, either choose my country, my national anthem, my cops, my military, or a bunch of spoiled rotten athletes running around in costumes acting like idiots. And I chose my country over those guys. And as for next year, I have no reason, as it stands now, to come back. If they were to fire Goodell and bring in Condoleezza Rice and let her straighten things out, then I would come back. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. That pretty well sums up my there. Thank you, Clay. Gary, man, I, a micro machine style, just rolling right through it. I do wonder if you're so mad about the NFL protesting. It's interesting to me that you would still listen to sports talk radio. Like you're not watching the games, but you're like, oh, I want to hear what everybody thinks about Malcolm Butler. I want to hear what everybody thinks about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. That's a really, I mean, that's just kind of an intriguing decision to make, right? I'm not going to watch any of the games, but I'm going to listen to Clay Travis talk about them and some of the larger issues as well. Um, I think that's pretty intriguing. Uh, let me get a couple more of these calls. Uh, Josh in Pennsylvania. What's up, Josh? Hey, good morning. Hey, I don't know what the last caller was on, but uh, I'm military 14 years, and uh, I do not give a crap that people are kneeling for the national anthem. I'll watch football no matter what. So I agree with you there. I wouldn't go as far as ISIS, but, uh, you know, I'm definitely a, a football fan. So, I'm trying to think when I say uh, that I would still, if I were still, uh, you know, like that's yeah, how much yeah, I'm no, going to watch the NFL. Think of the most ridiculous yeah. opinion somebody could have politically, yeah, no, and I get, I'm still watching. So try to yeah, no, I get it. Um, but I, I've also, I'm from the generation where we, we uh, not stole music, we uh, downloaded it, you know, Kazaa, Views, like whatever you want to say. Yep. So I've been streaming uh, football games, including the Super Bowl, for a long time, and I know my friends have too. Um, there's a lot of high quality, there's HD content on there. So I mean, I've been hearing this debate for a long time about um, the ratings are going down on every single talk show, and I'm like thinking it's because people are streaming. I know you're saying NBA and uh, you know other the college football is having this issue. Yep. Yeah, but the, the, what's that? No, I, I said they're up. Thanks for the call, by the way. Uh, let me try to get these last couple, and then we're going to go to Alex Marvez. So I want to make sure that I get everybody in, um, and I'm sure the phones are ringing and everything else, but I'm going to go to Alex Marvez, and then we'll come back to you guys and take some calls to close out Hour 2 and also to start Hour 3. Let's go to Tony in Indianapolis. What's up, Tony? Hey, Clay. Thanks for taking my call here. Um, you know, I feel like this is something that, you know, the mass media has done this to themselves. You know, we, we live in a time where we're, d- don't tell me what to think or how to feel, just entertain me. And now I think we've kind of moved on from that. And, uh, you know, 
whether we're divided or not divided, we just want uh, somebody to put on a show. You know, we'll pay we'll pay a hundred dollars to watch uh, McGregor and, and Mayweather. Um, you know, we don't we don't want to sit here and and you know have have the uh, and aggression and all of that taken out of football. And I, I think the mass media has spent so much time telling uh, fans what to think and and where they should stand on the issue that people are just tired of it. Um, you know, they. they People that, that didn't watch the game made that decision, uh, you know, long before it started. So whether the game was good or not good, those people had already chosen not to tune in uh, before the game even started. Yeah, that's not a bad argument, but I, I would like for you guys out there to think about this. I like the idea, and I'm going to take one more call, um, and then we'll go to break and we'll come back with Alex Marvez. But I want you to think about this for a minute with me. What would your reaction be the next time you go to a, a superhero movie? And I'm using Iron Man because I think he's the most reliable box office draw with Robert Downey Jr. playing Iron Man, playing Tony Stark. If right before Iron Man started, if Iron Man came out, took a knee in his Iron Man costume and told you one of his deeply felt political beliefs right before the movie started, would that be good for that movie's box office? I think the answer is no. I mean, the answer is beyond a shadow of a doubt, no. And I just want all of you out there to think about that. Everybody goes to the movies, by and large. You go watch these big Hollywood blockbusters. If you walked in and you sat down and right before the movie started, Robert Downey Jr. walked out and he took a knee and he told you one of his deeply felt political opinions, would that make you enjoy Iron Man more? I the answer is no. And I think the reason is because you're there to be entertained and you want Iron Man to be Iron Man. In his uniform, you want him to perform. Now, if when you're not watching Iron Man, if Robert Downey Jr. is in a suit and he walks up on the stage and he accepts an award and he tells you what his political beliefs are, I think you're just kind of like, whatever. Like, he's entitled to his political beliefs. But when you are in the position of wanting to be entertained, you expect to be entertained. Pappy in Northridge, what's up? Thank you for taking my call. You uh, you asked a couple of questions before your commercial break, and I just want to address them. Uh, one, why don't you watch at home or at a party or at a club, but, you know, at a bar? If you got, and, you're talking uh, about if you're a cord cutter. I'm sorry? You're talking about if you're a cord cutter, why wouldn't you just go there and watch? Exactly. Well, you know, I love the parties, but unfortunately, when I go to a party or, or at, a, at a bar, I can't hear the commentary, and I really want to hear what's going on, so I yep. chose to stay home. Um, I did cut the cord because, um, honestly, prices, you know. I Okay, so how did I you watch think, the Super Bowl? Uh, I, I can afford it, but it's just a matter of principle for me. They're just gouging us so much. So Totally uh, understand that, I but how did you watch? Uh, I streamed it. I uh, streamed it I, uh, through... Uh, you know, uh, third party. Uh, so you illegally, you illegally streamed it. Now you could. Thanks for the call. I want to go to break now, but you know, you could use an antenna and get NBC, which is what a lot of people are reaching out and saying. Even if you're a cord cutter, you still have the ability to stream it. Like Reed sent me an email. He says I'm a cord cutter, and like most cord cutters, pretty savvy with technology. That being said, I have an antenna to pick up over air signals such as ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS, etc. I did watch the game with my antenna, just like every other cord cutter in America. I mean, this is a free broadcast, so even if you cut cord, I don't understand that argument for the Super Bowl. 
if you're a cord cutter, you still have the ability to watch it for free on regular television. So I understand the argument for like ratings being down for cable shows, but I don't understand the argument for why ratings would be down for something like the Super Bowl, which is easy to watch for free all over the country. We'll ask Alex Marvez about this. We'll also ask him, where should Nick Foles go? Does he think he'll start game one for the Eagles next year? What's the latest on Cousins and where he could end up? And what are the Browns going to do at number one overall, which will set the table for the rest of the NFL draft? All that and more we'll discuss with Alex Marvez. On the flip side, next segment here, Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Great news. Quick way you could save money, switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance as well. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, the list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Going straight to Alex Marvez here momentarily. But first, let me bring in my guy, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. All right, Clay, we'll start with NFL news in the wake of Super Bowl 52 with the Eagles meeting the Patriots. The city of Philadelphia is preparing for its first ever Super Bowl championship parade. It's set for Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern time. As for the losing team, Bill Belichick said Monday that he'll definitely be back to coach the Patriots next season. His defensive coordinator will not be back as expected. Matt Patricia, who had been running the defense for six years, officially named the new head coach of the Detroit Lions. In NBA games of note, Pistons beat the Trailblazers 111-91. Detroit's now 3-0 since acquiring Blake Griffin in a trade. He had 21 points. Clippers over the Mavericks 104-101 in defeat. Dallas's Dirk Nowitzki reached the 50,000 minutes played mark. He's the sixth NBA player to do that, joining Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Carl Malone, Kevin Garnett, Jason Kidd, and Elvin Hayes. Wizards beat the Pacers 111-102. College basketball, number 19 West Virginia wins at number 17 Oklahoma, 75-73. And Clay, the uh, NFL Network reporting that the reason that Patriots cornerback Malcolm Butler did not play in the Super Bowl was due to what Ian Rappaport called a perfect storm of factors. He was battling through an illness. He didn't have a good week of practice, and he had a curfew violation. That is uh, reportedly out there, so we'll see whether or not uh, that ends up being uh, true. Uh, We're coming to live from the Geico Outkick Studios. Easy to say, 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Alex Marvez joins us now uh, to talk about all these stories and more. Let's start there, Alex Marvez. What happened with Malcolm Butler so far as you can tell? I honestly don't know. I'll be totally honest. If I don't know something, I don't know. I mean, we've had, you know, from obviously you've seen the media report, Bill Belichick is the dumbest coach alive now. You know, he's not so dumb because of Malcolm Butler. What I want to hear is from Malcolm Butler's camp what exactly happened, and we haven't really heard that yet. So, look, I mean, I don't think Bill Belichick is, is you cut off your nose to spite your face. You understand what I'm saying? You're willing to make some sort of accommodations and changes. Remember the Wes Welker situation back about eight years ago when he was making cracks on Rex Ryan and his feet? And, you know, and, and that sort of thing, his, his foot fetish stuff. And, you know, Wes Welker got benched for, what was it, a quarter or a series, but he ultimately got back in the game. In this case, what happened with Malcolm Butler, and I think this, this listen, all of the stuff with Malcolm Butler had been building, right? I mean, you think about what happened with Stephon Gilmore, the type of contract that he gets, and Malcolm Butler doesn't get paid. Well, maybe there's a reason the Patriots didn't want to pay Malcolm Butler. They didn't trust him. Thus, we move on. He won't play for them again, but this did hurt this team. And, you know, the fact that they wouldn't play him in a situation where that defense was on the field as much as it was, it was pretty egregious, but I don't have all the facts, so I don't want to say specifically what it was. Will Nick Foles be starting for the Eagles at quarterback week one of the regular season in 2018? 
probably because I don't think Carson Wentz is going to be ready. I think they're going to take their time with him. You know, that's where we're at right now with Carson Wentz. <laughs> you know, I, I think, listen, when you look at the contract and you look at the numbers, we have to think about this from an economic standpoint with Carson Wentz, okay? You've got him under his rookie contract for at least three more seasons. Then we're talking franchise tags potentially for two more seasons. So for at least five more years, you have a quarterback under what should be a manageable number. Not necessarily the case with Nick Foles. He's got one year left on his contract, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. And, you know, you're not – I don't think they're going to move on from Carson Wentz. Let's just put it like that. Nick Foles was, was outstanding, obviously, the best postseason, or Joe Flacco-like postseason, if you will. Oh, yeah, whatever happened with Joe Flacco? His play dropped the following season and has continued to snowball down ever since. So in this case, I just think that they may – now, the, the big question is this. How far along is Carson Wentz going to be in his rehab when the offseason begins? Are the Eagles made an offer that they don't want to refuse? and they're willing to bring in another backup quarterback to do something else. But I think it all tied into Carson Wentz's health. Do you believe if you were making a decision right now and you are the Cleveland Browns, you're the Buffalo Bills, uh, all these teams out there that don't necessarily have a proven quarterback, the Arizona Cardinals, if Foles is going to start, and there are a bunch more, obviously, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I could run through an entire litany. You guys sure. know the Jets. You guys know who you are if you don't have a proven quarterback. <laughs> if the assumption is that Nick Foles is going to start week one for the Eagles, um, that would theoretically mean that you can't try to get him traded, uh, can't make an offer for him, that the Eagles are not going to let him go. Because like you said, and like I said to start the show off, not a lot of talk about Carson Wentz recovering from his injury. But given when that injury happened in December, it's unlikely he'd be ready to go in September. Um, would you rather, let's play would you rather, would you rather if you were the Browns and it were possible and you couldn't get Kirk Cousins, would you rather draft Saquon Barkley thinking, you know what, maybe we can trade for Nick Foles once Carson Wentz is back healthy? Or do you have to just presume, if you're one of those teams now, that Nick Foles is completely off the market and make decisions as if you'll never have a chance to get him? Well, I mean, we're, you know, a couple things here on this one. First, the teams that don't have a good draft position – they're the ones that have to look more strongly at veteran quarterbacks, right? In the case of the Cleveland Browns, if you really want Saquon Barkley and you really want a quarterback, well, you've got ammunition sitting there at number four to potentially move up to number two. You see what I mean? And you can yeah. get both. It'll be like draft day come to, come to real life. It'll be amazing. Get Kevin Cosner to do the pick. That being said, you know, but if you're a team like Buffalo and, and you're sitting there, you're down, you've got two picks, and, and you know, and the, like in the early 20s, uh, you know, that's maybe when you really start, you, you evaluate Nick Foles. What did we see? But then that's another thing, too. Are, are the, the Eagles, to me, and kudos to them for winning this game in an amazing season, right? But are we looking at a team right now that's running the type of offense that the NFL is going to catch up on? I liken them to the 1999 St. Louis Rams. Greatest show on turf. NFL had never really seen it before. And, you know, they, they obviously they won a Super Bowl with it, right? I mean, they went from nowhere, 4-12 and with Kurt Warner, all the way to winning a championship. Well, I think right now the Eagles are ahead of the curve with this offense. The, the play fakes, everything that they're doing, eventually the NFL is going to catch up on this. And that's what you have to ask yourself. Is Nick Foles only good in this type of system? Why didn't he succeed somewhere else? Is it the system or is it the player himself? And that's one of these things these teams have to ask about drafting a quarterback. I just think the Cleveland Browns, they want their franchise guy for years to come. If you're John Dorsey, would you rather tether yourself to Nick Foles with some questions or would you rather try to try to go and start anew with someone that you can mold as, as a quarterback? And I think they'd rather go that route. And, again, we're talking money at some point, too, here, Clay. Rookie contracts a lot better than having to spend oodles of cash on a veteran quarterback, especially if you're not sold on the vet. Where's Kirk Cousins going to go? We're talking with Alex Marvez. We do every single Tuesday. Where do you think Kirk Cousins ends up if you were placing bets right now? 
I mean, I, I, you know, Denver has been, there's been so much smoke coming out of there, and I don't know if John Elway really has an answer to the position. Does he love Baker Mayfield? Does he love, does he love Josh Allen? Is he even going to have a chance to get one of these guys, Josh Rosen? I think that's a strong one. I mean, are we going to have a team that simply blows out the slot? If you're the New York Jets and you feel like you need to make a splash and, and you know, you need that quarterback, are you willing to overspend? On Kirk Cousins, when I say overspend, we're talking $28.5, $29 million a year, huge chunks of guaranteed money. I mean, and that's, that's the one thing that we really don't know yet, is, is how much a team, if they are desperate at the position and they evaluate the free agent market, are they willing to blow out the slot and just say, hey, you know what, we don't care what the past president was. We needed a quarterback. Kirk Cousins is our guy. I don't see Arizona as really being a viable spot for him, at least the way that their salary cap situation is. The Jets have a lot of room. Denver can make room. I don't think he's going to Buffalo. And remember, too, he's going to want to go to a place that he feels he can win, right? I mean, I, I just I think that's part of it as well. And there are just some franchises that don't have a track record of winning, so he may not go there. What do you think ends up happening with Rob Gronkowski? I mean, there's a lot of talk about maybe this is the last ride for Belichick and Brady. That seems to have faded substantially. And instead, a lot of talk coming out of the Super Bowl was about Gronk saying, you know, I'm not 100% sure. He's obviously taken a beating over the years. How many more years does Gronk have? Because that's not somebody that's been talked about very much. No, it really hasn't. And remember, he came into the NFL, I believe, about 20, 21 years old. He was an early entry junior out of Arizona who was already coming off a back surgery. It's why he didn't get drafted in the first round. He fell to the second round because of the medical. And he has just he has taken an absolute beating during his NFL career. But, you know, I think there's there's he realizes this, too. He's made a lot of money. WWE has a lot of interest in trying to sign him. I know that he's a fan. By the way, Clay, could you imagine if Rob Gronkowski became the commissioner of the new XFL? <laughs> and they tried to put, and they tried to make him the face of this league, right? And, and you know what I'm saying? And like he would make cool decisions and fun decisions and things like that, and try to make the league hip and things like that. I, I never discount that. I'm not sure Rob Gronkowski can read, so I think the idea that he would be a commissioner of a league is a uh, is is an outlandish uh, outlandish theory. Now the WWE. I could totally see Rob Gronkowski making a killing in the WWE. I mean, he's big, he's tough, he's smart, you know, in the way that he can kind of play. Like, I can see him standing out there with a mic and playing the crowd. Like, he's a great reader of scenes. That audience would love him, right? The beer swilling, you know, like, huge mammoth man. Like, I could see him being Dwayne Johnson like The Rock in terms of his ability to play a crowd, and that's a rare talent. So that actually... I can see him also enjoying that as much or more, and obviously he's been in the ring for a few different uh, events over the years. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I meant figurehead commissioner, by the way. Of yeah, course, figurehead commissioner, yes. yes. Yes, yes, indeed. Some would say Roger Goodell fits into that same thing as uh, well. Maybe but so. You- Yes, but you know, when, when it comes to Gronkowski, you know, and, and the Boston Herald reported that they have been talks about trying to restructure his contract, put in some more clauses as far as to protect the Patriots in case he gets injured again, so they're not on the hook for all of his salary. It's, you know, he's scheduled to make a $9 million this upcoming season, $10 million a season after that. You know, this is, again, could be a leverage play, and you threaten retirement, and you just say, look, I want these guarantees in my contract. I Which, by the way, money. frankly doesn't seem that high for Gronk when you consider the impact that he has on the Patriots. Patriots team on the field. $9 million a year seems like a steal to me for the Patriots. Well, remember, too, that they signed him a long time ago, and they were smart. They signed him to that long-term contract, and people say, oh, the numbers aren't real and things like that. No, when you sign a contract, you may very well be stuck with it for a number of years. And, you know, think about what, you know, when Ben Roethlisberger signed an eight-year, $100 million deal, $102 million. 
And like at the time, it's like, oh, 102 million, it's eight years, he'll never see the end of it. No, he, he will, because, you know, that's how it is. So I think there's some gamesmanship going on there a little bit with the Patriots. And, you know, the one thing with Gronk, too, he doesn't spend his own money. He has said that before. He lives off marketing money. I don't think he's, he lives that exorbitant lifestyle. I think other people pay for him to go different places. He's got it pretty darn good. It's, it's like you in Nashville. You know, you can't even <laughs> pay for a meal anywhere. You just come play Travis and you just walk out. That's it. It's exactly how things roll here. Alex Marvez, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, baby. Thank you. Follow, follow him on Twitter at Alex Marvez. I'm Clay Travis. Up next, do you know what it's time for? I think we need to get woke. It's time for the woke report. Jason Martin, back from injury last week. I hope he's going to be woke for us on Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. What if you could get up to $1,000 in as little as 48 hours with TaxSlayer? Well, you can. Introducing Refund Now only from TaxSlayer. E-file your taxes, get up to $100. Oh, sorry, $1,000, even better. And as little as 48 hours with no upfront fees, visit TaxSlayer.com for details. This is a time of year where a lot of that tax stuff's getting put together. I'm doing it. Got the 1099s rolling in, all the different reports on the income, all the different businesses that I'm trying to run here, trying to figure out what I owe, what I don't owe. It's a mess. TaxSlayer.com makes a lot of sense. All right, we haven't done it for a little while. Last time I had to do the woke, woke report because Jason Martin bailed on the show last Wednesday. But you've been begging for it. It's time. Cue the music, boys. Oh, yeah. Time to get woke. Then it goes a little something like this with J Mark. Yeah, boy. The goal of the woke report to make sure that we acknowledge our white privilege and that we are aware of why the cage bird sings. And if there's one man on earth right now who knows why the cage bird sings, it's Jason Martin. Take it away. All right. So sometimes it takes a lot to get woke. And then sometimes it's really daggone easy to get woke. And Jamel Hill continually provides just comment after comment after comment. (laughs) She doesn't have to be on SC6 to do it. She can find any way that she wants, and this is going to be very dangerous, as you know, with our equipment, Clay, but I'm going to try and fire audio myself Mm -mm. in this studio, and I just want you to listen. First, you'll hear a voice that you'll know very, very immediately, and then you will hear Jamel in this interview that she did on Super Bowl Sunday in this reaction, and if you want to hear woke as woke can get, just listen to this in between commercials uh, about sports. How did you feel when you heard the president in a State of the Union address still take a shot at people that are standing up about injustices, injustices that you write about, I protest about? I mean, just out of nowhere, just decides he's going to take another shot. How did you feel watching that? I wasn't surprised, and I think this is going to be a, probably a constant theme for the president because it's a very easy dog whistle. It's low-hanging fruit. It's what I like to call racial pornography because it's it's a way to stoke his base. Um, and look, in a weird way, I think it's kind of uh, weirdly brilliant because he has been able to hijack the entire conversation yeah. and to make this about patriotism. And uh, really, if anybody knew just even the smallest bit of American history, they would understand that what the players have chosen to do is the most patriotic thing that you could. And Colin Kaepernick, who this conversation started with and still is very much the foundation of this kind of this conversation, uh, his original 
um, thoughts about why he was protesting. He very clearly laid out a big reason is that he felt like military personnel, the people defending our country, that we were not living up to the ideals that that flag is supposed to represent. All right. So she was on Politics Nation with Al Sharpton on Sunday morning. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, as I kind of followed up on this, we're not 100% sure ESPN knew that she was going to go on. I was told, by the way, I was told the ESPN had no idea. And you want, this is Jamel Hill, balls in the face, dunking on ESPN. They fire her on Friday from SportsCenter. And she says it was her choice. That's not true. They basically forced her out by changing the show until she asked out. And then she goes straight from the Sports Center studio to tape with the Reverend Al Sharpton's MSNBC show so that she can accuse the President of the United States of racial pornography. And by the way, I know pornography. It's one of the few subjects I feel pretty comfortable that I know. Racial pornography is like different races having sex together. That's like Pornhub wheelhouse, right? Like, oh, I'm going to put this Asian girl with this. Like, you can find any race that you want. That's racial pornography, right? Racial pornography is not saying, hey, maybe we should stand for the national anthem. That's the worst racial porn ever. I can't think of, though, I'd be so disappointed if I'm on Pornhub and I'm like, you know, I'm looking for some porn here. Oh, you know what I want? I want Donald Trump giving me some racial pornography. That's so stupid of her. Yeah, I think the bigger issue is the quote that they were talking about, if you look at context, what Trump said in the State of the Union was, quote, Preston Sharp, who was a 12-year-old California boy who started a movement to place flags at the graves of military members. This was a quote. Preston's reverence for those who have served our nation reminds us why we salute our flag, why we put our hands on our hearts for the Pledge of Allegiance, and why we proudly stand for the national anthem, unquote. Al Sharpton used that quote yes. and then said, look at Trump taking a shot at people standing up about injustices. Are you freaking kidding me? <laughs> I put that in my article that was up on OutKick. I actually, because I was like, I wonder what, I, we were drinking during the State of the Union. You were having your eight drinks, which gave you a hangover and didn't allow you to come do work the next day. But I went back and I looked at it because a couple people tweeted me about it. And I was like, he's giving credit to this 12-year-old boy for putting flags on the on the graves of veterans. That's not taking a shot at people. That's the Who's most the racial fake- pornographer here, Clay? Jamel Hill. Jamel Hill is the racial pornographer. Correct. There's no doubt. I'm Clay Travis. Outkick the coverage. Final hour of the show next. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios. I hope all of y'all are woke now. Where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. A uh, couple things. Uh, we are talking about Malcolm Butler and the fallout there over the Patriots' loss. I think it tends to be overrated. More credit for the Eagles, less blame for the Patriots, in my opinion. We are going to talk about why ratings are down in the NFL, 877-996-6369. I told you that I would take your calls on that, and so you can load up the phone lines for J-Mart right now. Next segment, we will talk to Petros Papadakis, as we do every single Tuesday morning here on Hour 3 of Outkick the Coverage. But first, let's go into this Malcolm Butler story, which will not die Now, as we've entered day two, I think Bill Belichick not explaining his decision process has allowed this story to continue to grow in conjunction with the fact that the Patriots gave up over 500 yards of offense. A lot of people asking the question, did Bill Belichick sabotage his defense? I think that's crazy. 
if you have watched Bill Belichick coach for any length of time at all, this is a guy who would steal from his grandma if it made it more likely that he was going to win a football game. I think the idea that he would bench a guy who he thought gave him a better chance of winning a game is nonsensical. I think he basically decided Malcolm Butler was not playing well enough and that he liked his options otherwise. But what exactly happened here, the uncertainty of this story based on what Belichick has said and also based on what Malcolm Butler has said, has allowed this story to fester and grow. Let's first go to what Malcolm Butler said right after the game. I don't know. They gave up on me. I don't know what it was. I mean, I, I guess I, I guess I wasn't playing good, or they didn't feel comfortable. I don't know. You know what I mean? I could have, I could have changed that game though. And I think I don't blame Butler. I mean, I think anybody who's ever played a sport at any level, if you weren't playing and you thought you were as good or better than the guy was playing in front of you, thought you know what? I could have changed that game. There's no doubt at all about that. Well. Bill Belichick was asked about those comments and his decision not to play Malcolm Butler, and he had this to say yesterday. I respect Malcolm's competitiveness, and I'm sure that he uh, felt like he could have helped. I'm sure other players felt the same way. But in the end, we have to make the decisions that we feel are best for the football team, and that's what I did. That's really all I can say about it. Could you detail that a little bit for those people that follow the team that just feel like there's an emptiness there that they'd like to understand it better? Yeah, I appreciate the question, Mike. It would be a much longer discussion. There's a lot of things that go into that. In the end, uh, the final decision is what I said it was. I think that Belichick could obviously just handle this. If Belichick just said, look, I made the decision as a coach based on looking at all the film and analyzing everything from a defensive perspective, as I do every single week. We had two weeks to get ready for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I thought based on what Malcolm Butler has given us this season, we had a better chance to win with the guy backing him up. That's as simple as it is. It wasn't about Malcolm Butler. It was a tough decision because so many of the decisions we make, even though we try to say we're doing what's best for the team, it's difficult many times to break up the personal from the professional, and so that's what made this decision so difficult. I understand why Malcolm Butler is upset with me. Uh, We lost this game for a variety of reasons. One of them was certainly the way we played on defense, and in retrospect, I would not change my decision, but I wish we had made plays in other facets of the game that had allowed us to win. I, I don't know why that's complicated for a coach like Bill Belichick to say. I understand he wants to keep the media at bay, But if the reason is truly performance-based and not something else, then I don't understand why Belichick wouldn't just say it. We made a decision based on who we thought was best in the game. I'm the general here. I lost this battle. We lost this game. It's on me. Everything that I did clearly didn't work as well as what Doug Peterson did. Instead of focusing on Malcolm Butler not playing, how about you focus on the fact that Doug Peterson and Nick Foles and the Philadelphia Eagles offense and defense outperformed us because that's what happened in this game. I've been in eight Super Bowls. I've won five of them. I've lost three of them. My coaching decisions aren't always perfect, but I always try to put the team in the best position to win. And in this game, I did that once more, and things didn't work out as well as I'd hoped they would. I don't know. I, you know, sometimes like I hear these stories, and I'm like, that answer that I just gave you is me channeling Bill Belichick. That answer puts this story to bed. People can say, oh, you know what? I disagree with Bill Belichick's decision. He should have played Malcolm Butler. And then that's kind of the end of the story. Whose decision are you going to trust? 
A guy who sits around talking into a mic all day like me or Bill Belichick's? I got to be honest with you. I'm probably going to go with Bill Belichick. I think I'm a pretty smart guy. I think Bill Belichick knows a lot more about football than me. So if he wants to tell me, I made the decision that our defense would be better by replacing Malcolm Butler, who his performance has not been as good as I would have hoped, and I thought it was a bad matchup for us, I'm going to go with Bill Belichick. And I think most people in media and most of you listening right now would say the same thing. You know what? I get it. Maybe he's been thinking about doing it for a long time. He didn't do it because he didn't have two weeks to get ready. I would like to have more details about this decision, but ultimately if it's just a straight coach's decision, I don't understand why that's a difficult decision for people to grasp. And again, I think the fact that this Malcolm Butler story is now a story two days after the Super Bowl as we continue to unpack what happened in one of the most electrifying Super Bowls we've ever seen is a function of Belichick doing a poor job explaining things and that Malcolm Butler really hasn't explained things either. I mean, at least to his credit, Butler seems to be saying that he was replaced for performance-related issues. Now, if there was something that happened off the field, if there was some issue associated with that, what I would say is that's probably also tied into performance. Because guess what? If Tom Brady got busted with weed on this trip a couple of days before the game, as has been reported, guess who's starting at quarterback for the New England Patriots? Tom Brady. If Tom Brady got busted with cocaine a couple of days before the New England Patriots Super Bowl, guess who's starting at quarterback for the New England Patriots? Tom Brady. Everything in life is about your talents compared to your problems. The better you are, the bigger your problems can be. The example I always like to use of this is my buddy, I was watching the latest show with my kids the other day, my buddy, because I think he's incredibly talented, not because I know him at all, Johnny Depp. My buddy Johnny Depp can play Jack Sparrow in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies better than anybody else on the war, on the planet, in the world. You cannot replace Johnny Depp with any other actor anywhere and get the same box office for the Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Read about Johnny Depp's behavior. That dude is unbelievable. They filmed the most recent Pirates of the Caribbean movie in Australia, and they had no idea when Johnny Depp was going to be ready or willing or able to actually show up on the set. This is a, There's like all these details about Johnny Depp in the most recent Pirates of the Caribbean movie. They had a PA, it's like the lowest level uh, employee on a program or a show, production assistant, whose job was to stand outside of Johnny Depp's house and wait until the light went on in his bedroom to signify that Johnny Depp was up. And the moment that happened, he relayed that information to the set. And by the way, Johnny Depp would get up all hours of the day or night. Like, the guy's like a vampire. He sleeps whenever he wants. And let them know, hey, Johnny Depp is up. Let's prep the set so we're ready in the event that he leaves his house to come perform his role as Jack Sparrow. How many people do you think on a $100 million plus movie set they would act that way around? You or me get told to be there on the time that we're supposed to be there. And then we show up and we do our job. And if we don't, we get fired. Johnny Depp has a different set of rules. If Malcolm Butler got suspended for something other 
than performance-related issues. Do you know why that was? Because Malcolm Butler was not good enough to get away with having flaws. What do we got on the curfew, Danny G? So this is from BSO Online, and I mean, they're pretty reliable. I've read them for years. He, Malcolm Butler, was spotted at a Rick Ross concert, and it's the night that he broke curfew. Have you ever been at a concert, Clay, where you and the rest of the crowd there are standing around and standing around waiting? Yes. And the headliner's late? Yes. Rick Ross was late to his concert, and that's what made Malcolm Butler late for curfew. No, Malcolm Butler was late for curfew because he didn't leave to get back in time for curfew. Right. Like, but I'm saying you he were invested at concert, all that yeah. time, though, and he's like, screw this, I'm going to watch Rick Ross. If that's actually true, then one, that's – first of all, I find it funny that they have curfews. Like, And I don't know what day of the week they have a curfew, but I do think think it's a little bit funny that grown men have curfews. Um, I understand why work, they do. Clay. I understand. He's got to get to work. Hey, yeah, yeah. You of all people jumping in to complain about curfews is ironic. That's like J-Mart's excuse for the for the Super Bowl uh, party. Um, if that's really the reason, first of all, how late are you for the curfew? Okay, that I I understand people are like, hey, the curfew's midnight, and if you're here at twelve oh one, you're in trouble. When you are a grown ass man, like how late for the curfew was he? And again, if you are Malcolm Butler and you are a borderline guy in terms of the play, like, guess what? If Tom, first of all, Tom Brady probably would have gotten back on time because Tom Brady goes to bed at eight o'clock every night. So he's definitely not standing around waiting for a concert. But if Tom Brady were out waiting for somebody to come on stage and perform, I understand that frustrating element. Like, I think about that all the time with what we do for a living. If I'm out, I'm like, man, it's 11 o'clock now. I'm only going to get four hours of sleep. Man, it's midnight. I'm only going to get a couple hours. Like, like right in the back of my head with what we do and how early we start our show. Or it's like Monday night football and it goes into overtime and I'm like, oh, crap. Now i got to sit through an overtime. Who knows how long this is. Like, you know, in general, if you have to get up early in the morning, that's the way people think. But look, if you're Malcolm Butler and you have not performed that well all season and you're there at the Super Bowl, that, to me, is a balancing act. That's Belichick saying, look, I don't care about the fact that this guy has started a lot of games so far this year. I can't rely on him anymore, and he's not talented enough for me to allow him to get away with this. Whereas the, the standard for Tom Brady would have been different. I bet the standard for Rob Gronkowski would have been different. I bet the standard for any big-time player on the Patriots would be different. Now, what Bill Belichick would probably say is, those guys understand that as the leaders of this team, they have an obligation to be back on time and not miss curfew. I guarantee you Tom Brady was in bed by 9.30, curled up, not eating his tomatoes, not eating all those ridiculous dietary restrictions. I guarantee you. So, I mean, look, if you're Malcolm Butler and you're not good enough to be out late for a concert, how late was the concert? Do we know? Yeah, they didn't specify Here's the, other the thing. times. I don't I don't have a lot of sympathy. I mean, just honestly, I don't have a lot of sympathy for guys who are in the biggest week of their career and lives with the Super Bowl and you're trying to go to a concert too. I understand like you might want to chill, maybe you go to a movie, maybe like you want to get away a little bit. If it were me and I were in the Super Bowl, the last thing I'm doing is anything that could possibly distract from me getting ready for the Super Bowl. Period. Because this is such a huge event, I want to be as prepared as I possibly can. Just like if the the, mor- the morning before you take the SAT, 
you shouldn't be out all hours drinking, right? You shouldn't be out all hours like having a ridiculous time. You've got serious business to take care of. The NFL offseason is massive. If you are Malcolm Butler and you're a big fan of any artist, you make enough money to travel around during the seven months of the year when you have virtually no obligations. It's not like it's the NBA. It's not like it's Major League Baseball or hockey. Seasons that never end. Football is really short. Now, I know you got to stay in shape out of season, but with the way the collective bargaining agreement works now in football, even if you play in the Super Bowl, you have virtually nothing to do for February, March, April, May, and June, and July. I mean, that's a long-ass offseason. You can turn into a roadie for whatever band you love or whatever rapper you love. You can go around on the road as long as you get your three hours of fitness in pretty much every day. You're in good shape. You go out and do whatever you want. If that's really the reason that he missed the Super Bowl, this guy is an idiot. I mean, truly an idiot. And I can see Bill Belichick sitting around saying, are you kidding me? Like, this guy wants me to invest substantial amounts of money in him, and he can't even make curfew at the Super Bowl? And if that combines with the fact that he hasn't been that reliable at the wide receiver position, look, they call it the Patriot way for a reason. The reason they've had success is what? Bill Belichick says, do your job. He wants guys who buy in and perform as he expects them to. And if you're Malcolm Butler and you're not doing that, I don't blame him for not starting him. Come on. You're of a cur- like I think the idea that you need a curfew is ridiculous, but the reason why you need a curfew is because guys like Malcolm Butler are going to break it. I don't blame him. All right, I got to tell you all about my guys at Pro Flowers. I said this earlier. I was on the road at the Super Bowl for a week. You know I was there, and despite the fact that I showed up for work every day and I was perfect, Jason Martin wasn't. But you know who else was having to deal with me being away? My wife. So when I came back and Pro Flowers had hooked your boy up and sent my wife 12 brand new red roses. I pretended that I had done that. And a lot of you out there don't understand, but if you can get credit for something you didn't do that ended up being a positive in a marriage, you know what you do? You you try and take credit for it. I'm always screwing stuff up. Dad in the house doesn't know how to do anything, always blowing it. So when things go well and roses show up on the doorstep, you try to pretend you took care of that. Even though I didn't do it, and Pro Flowers hooking your boy up, I tried to convince my wife that I had sent her flowers because I'd been thinking about her. That's because they took care of me. And they can take care of you too with an exclusive Valentine's Day bouquet from Pro Flowers. It's the perfect way to make a big impression. Pro Flowers thought inside the box so you can too. Your flowers are boxed fresh and delivered fast so they will last surprisingly longer, seven days at least. Choose a delivery date and it's guaranteed making you look good. Right now, my listeners can send a bouquet to their Valentine and save 20% off their purchase of $29 or more. I love Pro Flowers. You can choose to go classic with two dozen roses or choose from an assortment of flowers, plants, even gourmet treats to make a big impression. Pro Flowers bouquets and plants are guaranteed to be delivered fresh and stay fresh for seven days. Hurry and order today. Valentine's Day is next week. To get 20% off your purchase of $29 or more, Go to proflowers.com today and use my code OUTKICK in the special codes box at checkout. That's proflowers.com and code OUTKICK. Is that Rick Ross there, huh? This is why Malcolm Butler missed the Super Bowl. 
Uh, car shopping. Did you hear this? Man, smart decision. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, the list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Petros, you ever missed curfew? Who, me? Yeah, you. Like on my football team? Yeah, like back in the day. Uh, no, I was always pretty fastidious when it came to that kind of thing. I was always 15 minutes early and would watch everybody come in. That was just my nature as a football player. I was really, really nervous uh, and didn't want to get in trouble and have to roll like a log at 5 in the morning and throw <laughs> up all over the place because that's what they do to you in college. You know, in the NFL, they, they bench you. Actually, they don't usually bench you because players are too good to be benched, and that's kind of what happened with Butler. But uh, but what they do is they find you. So, I mean, in college, it's a lot different. You know, in college, they, they can't find you because you're broke. So they make you roll like a log until you throw up, or at least they used to back in my day. What was the worst thing you ever had to do when you were playing at USC? Like, you look back on it now, and you're like, that was seriously the worst thing that I ever did in my life as an athlete. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, there is a bevy of things. We, the, the 10 minutes or whatever we talk is not enough because <laughs> I played, uh, like a lot of guys, uh, before they changed the rules about camp and uh, pads and half pads and how many days you could have consecutive double days. There weren't really uh, a lot of rules in place with the NCAA and practicing uh, when I was playing, and it was much worse, you know, when my dad was playing, and, you know, everybody has those stories, but there was no regulation on what a football coach could do to you. So, uh, just, I mean, I, I hate to be uphill in the snow both ways guy at at, uh, at five in the morning out here uh, Pacific time, but uh, I have to say three a days for like three weeks was rough under Paul Hackett at USC because he didn't think we were tough. Uh, he also put us in an old gym. You ever seen the movie Cocoon? Oh, yeah. Okay, this is the same gym building that the pool is in. Yes. Uh, at USC. So it's really an ancient, you know, 100-year-old building. And uh, they closed all the windows, turned the heater on in the uh, basketball court there, and made us run the court until guys literally were throwing up on the court and other guys were slipping and falling Ugh. in the barf. And they were just basically, you know, for hours, they were just trying to run people off the team because uh, the new coach had taken over. And there was nobody to stop them. It was a whole, maybe someday I'll write a book about that. It was, uh, it was winter of 1998 with El Nino putting in work. And... Uh, I don't think I don't think a lot of people have experienced that ever since. <laughs> so imagine that now. That's winter of '98, not that long ago, right? Like 20 years ago, basically. Um, which, by the way, seems like I can't believe it's 20 years since 1998. But let's just pretend that that's not a big deal and that that the world's not gone to hell since 1998. But let's pretend that if you would have like a, a phone and you had been able to record something that was going on in that room. Is there any doubt that the entire coaching staff gets fired in 2018 over something like that? No. Zero doubt, right? No, zero doubt. But, you know, that's just what it was back then. And other guys have stories and stories and stories, and that's just, you know, what it was. And, and, and hey, uh, we didn't have anybody go to the hospital. Well, we did, but not for that. 
Right. Uh, you know, and, and that just happened again with Scott Frost at Nebraska. It happened with Willie Taggart at Oregon last year where they have these new coaches take over. They do some crazy winter workout to get everybody all riled up for the new coach. And uh, something bad happens. These guys, like, muscles start to unfurl or something, which is terrible. Yes. So, uh, you know, they still get after guys, and guys still work out hard. But there was just no rhyme or reason to what they were doing to us other than, you know, basically trying to run people off the team. And it was not just one time. I mean, it was... It was a series of just awful things uh, in the winter of 98 and, and the camp in 1998. And that happens when a new coach takes over sometimes. Uh, it just gets to be a bloodbath in the spring because the, everybody wants to show out for the new staff and keep their starting position or, or use the opportunity of change to move up or use chaos as a ladder. Yes. And, uh, if, if you ever really want to see a physical spring football practice, if they still do them, go check somebody out when, it, when it's a new coach. Go see Jimbo's team or go see Willie Taggart's team this, uh, this spring. There, there'll be a lot of fireworks. We're talking to Petros Papadakis, AM570 Sports in L.A. You covered the Pac-12 and have covered the Pac-12 for a long time. If I had told you that Nick Foles was going to win a Super Bowl one day, when he was at Arizona, would you have believed it? Yes, absolutely. Why? In fact, I would have probably taken credit for it. <laughs> yeah. Why would you have believed it? Uh, I always liked him. You know, I mean, of course, look, winning a Super Bowl, when I met Tom Brady when I was in college in his concave chest, he was a goofy <laughs> Bay Area tool. Yes. And Wait, I haven't heard this. When did you meet Tom Brady? You oh, guys are basically times. the exact same age. Well, we got uh, recruited at the same time. You know, Tom Brady wanted to go to USC. And... There was a coach at USC named Mike Riley. Do you know his name? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the offensive coordinator, and he wanted Tom Brady bad. And they had a really good relationship. Uh, Tom Brady went to the same high school as Lynn Swan and uh, Barry Bonds and John Robinson, who was our coach. But Robinson did not want uh, Brady. He wanted uh, a guy named John Fox out of uh, Corona, who ended up playing, uh, being moved to linebacker, and then playing quarterback again. <laughs> That's not a good move when you go from quarterback to linebacker. No, and a guy who was supposed to be the next Charlie Ward uh, named Quincy Woods, and that never panned out for Quincy. So uh, basically, USC should have had should have been my teammate, uh, but he was being recruited at a game that I was being recruited at. I remember meeting him there, and his his best friend from high school was the first baseman in USC baseball. And he used to come and visit him. So we'd see him all the time. And he was just a goofy, he, he was happy to be with us. Let's put it like that. Like, yeah, I mean, and but things have changed for Tom Brady. You don't think he'd be as excited to see you now? No, <laughs> no, I don't sadly. But, uh, Tom Brady, like he was, uh, he was just, a, if you had told me back to Nick Foles, that Tom Brady was going to win eight Super Bowls or whatever the hell it is, I would have been blown away. Nick Foles, I, I saw him as a broadcaster uh, playing for Mike Stoops. Now, the interesting thing about Nick Foles is he wanted to go to Arizona State. You know, he didn't have any Texas offers, and he wanted to go to Arizona State, but Dirk Cutter got fired, and the new coach, Dennis Erickson, didn't want him. He ended up signing at Michigan State leaving Michigan State and ending up at Arizona to play for Mike Stoops. 
And I loved him at Arizona. I, I thought he was a big, strong kid, great attitude. He was exactly what you see today. You know, they didn't have all the success in the world, but they did have some success, and he was a good player. Uh, so, yeah, I would have believed that. I, I, I thought he was really good with a lot of potential. So when you watch the NFL, the Super Bowl, I'm sure you watched it. Do you feel a lot like I did that it felt like a college football game in the NFL? Because for a long time, NFL guy has been like, oh, we'll never play like they do in college. We can't do X, Y, or Z. And then Chip Kelly goes, and it seems like the, 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 the kind of college became the laboratory for the NFL as opposed to vice versa. And now the NFL is starting to realize, hey, some of this stuff they do in college might work in the NFL too. That's what I thought as I watched this game. Well, that's always going to be tempered, Clay. And I'm not Brian Baldinger or some nerd at Pro Football Focus. Uh, I did play football. Uh, but the thing that is interesting to me is the NFL will only be so much like college in the play calling and things like that because of the hash marks. Right. And there's just less space. But you're absolutely right to say that most of the innovations in football at the professional level come out of college. Uh, that's always kind of been the case. I mean, whether you're talking about way back in the day and the innovations that Robert Zupke, the Illinois coach, uh, was making. He like created the linebacker, the huddle, the flea flicker, you know, stuff like that. That was all out of college. Of course, Hal Mummy and the uh, four wide Air receiver rate. stuff, yes. you know, that all started in college. Uh, West Coast offense, uh, th- those different concepts, a-, a lot of it was developed through college. But the hash marks make it a little different. I, I thought it was a great game. I, I never thought of it like a- as a college game, like you just put. But uh, it is a kind of interesting way to look at, uh, at it. Certainly the going for it on fourth downs, the, the, the really pace. cavalier play calling, the quarterback pass, uh, that stuff was all pretty... Uh, pretty college-like, and it was exciting. I mean, it was a great game. It had everything you would want in a, in a big football game. I, I know the ratings were a little bit down for whatever reason, but I, I thought it was a great game. I, I, I did really enjoy watching it. What's the latest on the Ball family? The last time I talked There's to you, nothing. LeVar Ball, nothing happened in Lithuania in the last week. Yeah, I got nothing. You know, I got all Super Bowled out, and I have other things to deal with. I've been drinking pretty heavy. <laughs> I haven't. Uh, What's your drink of choice? Me? Yeah. Uh, I drink whiskey, rye, or bourbon. Yep. But not from Tennessee. No offense to the good people of Tennessee, but uh, Tennessee whiskey is kind of gross. So what do you drink then, straight up, or do you do you mix it with anything, some bitters? Uh, well, something? I used to be one of those guys that, like, if somebody put, like, a splash of, like, something in their drink, I'd be like, look, what a tool. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm soft. I, I put a little ginger ale or ice or maybe maybe even some cherry bitters every once in a while, Clay. I mean, who's to stop me? It's my own house. <laughs> you know, I can drink what I want. I don't go to a bar. I don't have any friends. I what watched The you... Bachelor last night. Yeah, what did you, you think of The Bachelor last night? It was pretty good, but we lost our villain. Did yeah. you watch it? Spoiler no, alert. No, no. I, 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 Why? Fire away. I, I, you know what? I, I don't have a good excuse. I was, uh, I was sitting around, and at 9 o'clock, it suddenly hit me that I had missed The Bachelor, and I honestly thought, Petro's going to be so disappointed in me. I just, it, it, I, I've gotten out of the rep scheme here. It's like when you, when you, it's like a new coach came in, and I keep forgetting that it's Monday, and like I forgot to take the trash out too, so my wife's going to be furious with me. It was I was I'll on the road. I was on the road, and 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 I just fell apart with with Minnesota. 
and how cold it was. Not, my brain still hasn't unfrozen. You got all wrapped up in your own celebrity at the Super Bowl. <laughs> a. B. First of all, lowest level celebrity at the Super Bowl. You are the lowest rung of the sports talk ladder. We all are. I mean, yes. That, I, I mean, think sports, sports talk, talk in general is pretty low on the rung of celebrity. Sports talk is the lowest rung of the celebrity ladder, is what I meant to say. Yes. Okay. The A, though, you were wrapped up in that level of celebrity in Minnesota. You know how, so, you, by the way, let me say this. Do you know how little of a celebrity you feel like when it's 4.30 a.m.? It is pitch black. It could be, by the way, any time, right? It could be like 10 o'clock at night. It could be midnight. Like, there's no way to know what time it is at 4.30 a.m. in Minnesota in the winter. And you roll out of bed, and you look at your phone, and it says that it is minus 8 outside. I cannot tell you how little I wanted to get out of bed and go downstairs and go to work on a Friday morning after a few hours of sleep to see that it's minus 8 outside. There's no worse feeling, really, than to know you have to go outside into a minus 8 degree, even though... It's not like I'm working outside. I just had to walk outside and get into a car in minus eight. I can't imagine working outside all day. Well, based on your Twitter, uh, I saw that tweet, uh, and you always are so freaked out if it's cold. Oh, I'm I'm anti-cold. I I despite you say that living in Southern California, like as if and you go to Hawaii on vacation, as if you're in the Arctic ice fishing. Hey, or I travel for work, dude. I did a game at Washington State when it was ten degrees this year, but I didn't sit there and talk about it like it's some big shock that it's cold in Minnesota in February, like it's some kind of breaking news. Minus I, eight is pretty freaking cold. Yes, it's cold, Clay, but I don't know why it needs to be a giant topic all day, every day. If that it were 150, I would address it as well. All right. You went to the north. Yes, I'm and it was cold there. You came back. I survived. You survived. B, you're all caught up in your Senate run or whatever the hell you're doing. Hey, you know what? I got 10% of the race, uh, 10% of the vote without even announcing yet. Well, do senators take out the trash? You have to ask your wife. I'd have to get an assistant to do that. I'll right. have to, Jay, I'm going to give senators don't take uh, out the trash. Senators don't watch The Bachelor. Frankly, Jay Mart should be taking my trash out for all the the work that he's skipping out on. Did you hear that he t- tapped out after 15 minutes of the show after a couple drinks? I don't understand your relationship with your producer. Uh, me, me either. To me, it sounds like he's uh, he takes a lot of liberties. Well, you know, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know what to say beyond that, but you know, I don't know the d- dynamic of your show. It's pretty early out here. <laughs> it is pretty early. Um, so, Bachelor. Yes, it was terrible. We lost our villain, Crystal. Uh, there was a two-on-one date, and there was a. There's this girl, Clay, that's really into taxidermy. Oh wow! Like, I didn't know that still not existed. A taxidermist. Yeah. Which to me would be pretty impressive, like a twenty-year-old girl that can, like, you know, make a bear reanimated. <laughs> I didn't know they still did taxidermy. Honestly, like, so they she does do, it in her own, like, has, her house. She has all these dead animals she keeps with her or uh, has in her home, but she's very well adjusted, and she had this moment of empathy with this villain girl. And man, did she knock the villain girl on her high heels! And the villain girl never recovered and then got sent home on the two-on-one. And uh, now we have the hometowns. We have to depend on the families being creepy or weird. By the way, you remember that Swami dad from The Bachelor a couple years ago? Oh, yeah, yeah. Remember Swami dad? Yes. The, the Rachel season. Yes. And the guy's dad was a Swami. 
Yes. He became a Swami. Yes. Did you see the Swami standing behind Bill Belichick at the Super Bowl? No. Did you see the mystical Swami? Oh, no. I, you know, I was at a party, and it's hard to keep tabs on everything that's going on when you're at a party, so I always feel like I should just watch the Super Bowl by myself in, like, a chamber so that I don't miss anything at all. I can't hear anything. There's kids running around. You know, like, it's just kind of a total zoo at a Super Bowl party. I thought I was seeing things because I was at a Super Bowl party, and I thought, you know, because the Patriots were in their time of need, there was, like, this suddenly this mystical zombie, or, excuse me, swami on the sideline. And uh, I was like, who's the Swami? And then I Googled it, and I just got a bunch of pictures of Chris Berman and Bill Belichick. <laughs> but if you put it on Twitter and write Swami uh, Patriots, you go on the – it shows there's a shot, and there's a Swami on the sideline. And I don't know what the hell he's doing or, or, or if he just appeared or if he's a genie or, or, or what or a Sikh <laughs> or what the hell. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Petros, check it out. I will check it out. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. That's Petros Papadakis. Quickly, Eddie Garcia, make a play. Get us in and out in a hurry. Well, in the NFL, the city of Philadelphia ready to celebrate their first ever Super Bowl championship parade. It's scheduled for Thursday at 11 a.m. Matt Patricia, he is officially the new head coach of the Detroit Lions, leaving the Patriots after uh, six years as their defensive coordinator. NBA games of note, Pistons beat the Trailblazers 111-91. Detroit's 3-0 with Blake Griffin since they acquired him in the trade. Clippers over the Mavericks 104-101. Dirk Nowitzki reaches the 50,000 minutes played mark, sixth player ever in NBA history to do that. College basketball, number 19, West Virginia, beats number 17, Oklahoma, on the road 75-73. Back to you, Clay. Uh, that outkick the coverage the update final segment of the show up next we'll get to your calls 877-996-6369 on fox sports radio well what does it mean when geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more on car insurance it means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago you don't believe i've seen cocoon jason martin no i don't believe you've seen cocoon why play. why is that unbelievable like that's a really popular movie in the 1980s yeah for like old people like I've seen that's it. not it's 1985. You watched Cocoon. Yeah, I've seen Cocoon. When did you watch Cocoon? I don't know. At like nine or ten years old. What's it about, Clay? It's about these uh, people who have the ability to become young again. Okay, I mean that's fair. There was also a new Cocoon. There were two different Cocoon films. There was a sequel to Cocoon. Did you I see saw, the sequel to Cocoon? I don't. I don't remember if I saw the sequel to Cocoon. I know that there are very few movies made in the 1980s that I did not see at some point. But like you saw were, it as an adult, right? Like, you didn't see it when you were seven, like me. Like, I mean, in 1985, I didn't watch Cocoon. Like, when oh, did I you saw, watch I Cocoon? I saw it, like, nine or ten years old. I don't remember. Really? Yeah. Did you like it? I don't remember. I mean, I don't remember thinking it was incredibly good or incredibly bad. I just remember, like, it was... I don't know. I mean, like, in the back in the day, your parents sometimes put on a movie, and, like, you just kind of sat around and watched it. I think about that all the time now. Like, I watched so many movies that I should not have watched not even like yeah. talking about porn like I should like I, w- I would <laughs> never let my kid see Nightmare on Elm Street right like right. my the idea that my 10 year old would watch Nightmare on Elm Street to me is insane because he wouldn't sleep by himself for like the next five years right well stuff was just different like back right, in the 19 19- like the USA used to run Friday the 13th marathons right that I, I mean, could watch at any point after the USA Cartoon Express like it would be like the snorks and then Jason <laughs> at like 1130 and right I mean all of those movies I feel like everybody who's listening to us that grew up in the 1980s watched Jason watched Freddie watched uh you know Michael Myers like 
all of those movies that were incredibly like slasher films. I remember in the in the era that I grew up with, the the primary move parents would make would be like it's the exact opposite almost now I think, but they'd be like, okay, is is it rated R because it's got a lot of sex and violence, yeah. or, or or I mean sex or violence, and they'd be like, oh, it's violence. And be like, okay, yeah, you can go watch that. And so you're just watching people get their heads chopped off and stuff. <laughs> but if you saw a boob, they'd be like, oh, my God, you can't see a boob, right? I mean, and that was kind of like the lasting impact of the Janet Jackson thing. It was like, and now nudity, I feel like, is so commonplace that parents don't even say, hey, is it got some sex in it or is it got some violence in it? I feel like they don't let you watch either one, probably. But if they did they'd be more inclined to let you watch a movie with some sex in it than they would like an entirely violent film. Like I watched Die Hard in the movie theater when I was nine so years I. old. I remember I told you that story. The first two R-rated films I saw, I saw on the same day on a trip to Atlanta with my parents. They were like, all right, you can see some R-rated films. So I saw Die Hard and Coming to America. It's one of the great days of my life. Right, but that, that was like 1988, right? Yes. Or 1989. You're like nine or ten years old. And so you're watching it, and you know, in Coming to America, they're like, the royal penis is clean. And you're like, whoa, that seems like it'd kind of be awesome, but you're not even in puberty yet. Like, you have no idea what's going on. And so, um, same thing with Die Hard. You know, Bruce Willis rolling around, spoiler alert, underneath a, uh, a desk, just firing away up at some dude's groin. And you're like, this is awesome. But, you know, anyway, no idea. All right, we have time for maybe one call. Who should I go to? Or should I just say, screw it and sorry, say sorry for the callers who waited? Uh, let's go to Mike and Modesto. We like Mike. Mike, what's up? Clay, we've been talking about this for two years. It's not Donald Trump. It's it's not something that happened recently with Colin Kaepernick. It's the NFL of business has, has made the worst mistake any business actor or player can do. You've said it in the past. Michael Jordan, the smartest businessman ever, said Republicans buy shoes too yeah it's never a good idea to alienate half your fan base the best thing you can do is just say i have no position everybody buy my stuff that's what you say and and when it comes to football fans it's not all left-wing people going to their games buying their products and ordering the sunday ticket it's your conservatives your libertarians and your moderates and that's who they've pissed off and their goal, because my, my conservative friends ripped me for, because I told you it's my crack for watching it, their goal is to make Budweiser bring them to their knees and say, I'm sorry. I appreciate the call. Big news here. I saw this headline. I was like, there's no way this is real. By the way, can we get a breaking news sounder really quickly? Is that possible? Breaking news from Fox Sports. There has been a study. This is real life. There is a study, and I swear to God this is real, that says McDonald's French fry oil could help cure baldness. If that's not proof that God is real, I don't know what is. Again, this is a real study. McDonald's French fry oil could help cure baldness. What an amazing, unbelievable proof of God moment here. French fry oil to cure baldness. I'm Clay Travis. Back tomorrow on OutKick. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER.